Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in with us at Oak City Church this morning. We are glad that you are here. Uh, a, a special thanks to the people that were able to make it out last weekend. We had our first in-person service for, for in quite a while, and we had uh, 27 households made it out, which uh, sounds like a lot. We had people spaced out pretty well. Um, we're going to do that again next week, and we would love to have you join us. If we get many more than that, then we might have to pivot and maybe have two Sunday morning services to accommodate that. That would be a great problem to have. Uh, it was it was great to be together worshiping the Lord again. Um, so thank you for that. We are in week 11 of our Connecting the Dots series and our reading plan. Um, as Dan mentioned last week, we get to Jesus this week, and so it's a great time to jump in. The great thing about being in a plan like this is that at the beginning of the year, we had 83 people sign up to read the Bible together and to be in this, we get five or 10 comments every day of people. And so it's kind of like we're reading together, but the, the downside of it is after 10 weeks, I know 83 people aren't reading their Bible every day and that there are people that feel a little bit left out because they've joined in since then. And so I'm here to tell you as your pastor, whatever you've missed, just skip it and come in on day, it'd be 55. You could go back to 51 and catch all the Jesus stuff. And if you're, if you're just ca- catching in on this, then go to oakcitychurch.com and there's a series page for this sermon series. And on there, there are some links about how to sign up with that Bible reading plan. Uh, the, the goal of that is not to check off a box about reading this plan. It's, a, it's about spent, getting a habit of spending time with the Lord each day through his word. And that's what we really are after for you. So, so feel free to join in with that um, now. Now, the first, uh, the first 10 weeks, we're in the Old Testament. Uh, this week, um, we get to Jesus. And so this, for sermon prep this week, it felt a little bit like December, like Christmas. I got to get a Christmas message ready. But given where we've been the last 10 weeks, what I decided to do um, was to focus on, there's a bunch of, um, of allusions in these gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus to these Old Testament storylines that we've been talking about for 10 weeks. And, and they're really important to the New Testament authors that we see how these things uh, tie together. And we don't need them. Like, you can just have Jesus and not understand. We don't tell people when they come to faith in Jesus, now go understand the whole Old Testament and then read about Jesus. No, we tell them, read the Gospel of John, you know, because you get this great picture of Jesus in the Gospel of John. But the more you, I preached the Gospel of John a few years ago, and I thought, why do we tell people this? Because there's so many allusions to the Old Testament that the first time you read it, you probably understand 15% of what's going on. But that's great. That's great. Uh, there's a, a pastor that I heard say once that the Gospel is like a pool that is shallow enough for a toddler to wade in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And, and it is. And so you can just get started with the basics of Jesus, and that's going to change your life. But then you grow and grow and grow in that. And, um, and so that's part of what we're after in this series. So today is like a Christmas message from the deeper end of the pool, but there's a reason for that. And it's that um, God wants us to see how all these threads of the Old Testament are going to get tied together with Jesus and extend on to the New Testament. And I think part of the reason he wants us to see that is because there's a bunch of loose threads in our own lives that 
that we're wondering, is God going to tie these things together? And he wants us to have confidence that he's at work and he is tying those things together, even if we can't see it. Um, and he's faithful and is going to come through in those. So uh, that's where we're, we're headed today. I got thinking about something called the marshmallow test as I was preparing this. And so uh, if you've never heard of the marshmallow test, you could, um, you know, you could pause this because we're pre-recorded and we're on YouTube. So you could just search on YouTube for marshmallow test and you'll see a good three, four minute video of a little kid at a table and an adult has given the three, four year old kid a marshmallow and said, hey, you can eat this marshmallow uh, right now if you want to. Um, but I'm going to go away. I had to go away for 10 or 15 minutes. When I come back, I'm going to have another marshmallow. And if you haven't eaten the first marshmallow, then when I come back, you'll get two marshmallows. And then they leave and the camera rolls on the kid. And the kids are like, oh. you know, and they'll touch the marshmallow and they'll pick it up. They'll smell it. They'll lick it, you know, and they'll take a little piece of it. And some kids will pop the marshmallow and eat it. And some kids are just, you know, don't. And they wait for the second marshmallow. And it's about delayed gratification, um, and, but, it's, but it's a bit about um, Genesis 3 and uh, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day that you eat of it, surely you'll die, that there are consequences to our actions. That's not a perfect analogy, but it's not a bad one either. <laughs> and, and I just think, man, over, over 15 or 20 years now pastoring, I've seen, I've seen um, a lot of people fail the marshmallow test miserably like not do well with it you know and in a have it all the way you want it right now world that's easy to do you know and god is a gracious god and so he gives us second third fourth fifth chances at the marshmallow test but that's just hard and i've seen people do really well at it and just trust god that god's faithful to his word and be blessed for it it's been amazing and then most of us are in the middle of that like where we ate half the marshmallow and the adult came back and said let's try this over again and they've learned um, to trust in God's faithfulness, and that's paid off, and that's is so incredibly satisfying as a pastor. And I think in my own life about times where I ate the marshmallow, and it's not like the marshmallow test. There are real consequences in life to eating that first marshmallow, and I've experienced them, and others around me have. And times when I've waited on God, um, and have gotten the second marshmallow, and, and just seen His faithfulness, and then I can think of marshmallows that are in front of me right now that I'm waiting on. And I hope for you that you can think of those things too, like things where you, where you haven't waited and things where you have waited and it's paid off and things you're waiting on uh, right now. When we catch up with Israel in the birth accounts of Jesus, it's like they've been going through the marshmallow test for 400 years. There's 400 years where God doesn't speak through any of his prophets. He's not He's not doing anything that we have record of. He's doing stuff all the time that we have record of. And in some ways, since they got the law on Mount Sinai, it's a 1,500-year marshmallow test that hasn't gone uh, very well for them. And now they get Jesus. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recount like one bit in some depth of this, um, you know, these birth accounts. And it's, what, it's actually John the Baptist. And then, and then hit a, a handful of like where these allusions to the Old Testament are and then talk about why that matters to us. And I'm going to start with Zachariah and Elizabeth because I think they would have passed the marshmallow test with flying colors. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are the, the parents of John the Baptist, who is the, you know, the one that announces the way uh, for Jesus. So Luke says this, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So they are righteous. They are walking blamelessly in the commandments of the Lord. They're waiting well on God and trusting in his faithfulness, even though um, they've had to wait because they're advanced in years and they haven't been able to have a baby. And it says, while uh, he was serving as priest before God, when Zechariah's division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So this paints Zechariah out like Israel as is a, a disciplined guy for 400 years. They're waiting on God, and but they're faithfully doing the things that God's called them to do in the temple um, in, in, written in the Old Testament. And so, and Zechariah is a part of that. He is a priest. And so priests are split up by divisions and they have different duties. And it's by lot his time to, uh, to perform his duty of burning incense um, in, in the temple. And so he's disciplined. He's probably a disappointed guy. Like they're advanced in years and the, the baby ship seems to have sailed. And so you can't want something that significant for that long and, and not end up a little bit disappointed. And yet he's still doing his thing. He's faithful. He is faithful to God. But sometimes you can be faithful and still kind of going through the motions. And, and I think we go through the motions because we, want, we need to like guard ourselves against that disappointment because you don't always know how God's going to answer prayers. And so, you know, it's hard to get your hopes up. And that's, that's how I picture Zachariah uh, and where he is. And I think there's probably a lot of Zacharias listening to this message right now. You know, people that have been following God for a long time and, and were faithful, but it still feels a little bit like going through the motions, which is okay, but not great. And so you, you wonder really what's going on. And you're, you're not eating the marshmallow, but you're waiting for the adult to get back in the room. Now, it says for Zechariah, and, and, there, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing uh, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Uh, this is a great scene. The altar of incense is in the temple, and the temple had like the Holy of Holies, which is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, and above the Ark of the Covenant, between the, the wings of the angels, is where the presence of God would rest. And then there's a veil that goes um, like in front of it, and then in its separate a separate room, and then there's a room called the Holy Place, and in the Holy Place was the altar of incense and the um, the, the menorah and the showbread and all this. And the altar of incense was representative of the people's prayers going up before God. So they would burn incense and that's fine spices. So it's costly and that's perfect because your, your prayers are like a sacrifice. They cost you something to give that to God, your time and your hope and all those things. And so your prayers are going up and, and it's the smoke going up before God. And Zachariah can probably see it you know, leaking through the curtain to the presence of God, like, God, I know you're in there and I know you can hear me. Uh, it's a great visual for what's going on. And Zechariah has to be praying the prayers that he's supposed to pray for the people. He's got to slip in some baby prayers in there. Like, God, can we please still have that baby? And you get into his mindset and think, what is the, you know, how long do you pray that prayer? What's the, the statute of limitations or the, like the ETA? What's an, the estimated time of arrival for the prayer? Or the estimated time of answer? And this would be great to know. It'd be this God, this is an idea for you, you know? Like if you could, after we pray a little while, say, hey, heard your prayer, just want to let you know it's gonna be like four or five months, four or five years, just just I don't know exactly when, which he does, but it just to give you an idea of how long this might take, that would be super helpful. But we don't get that. And so how long do you how long do you wait? How do you wait 
well, and I don't, I don't really know the answers to those. I know I'm not good at it. Um, and how do you know what you're waiting for? Like what the answer is gonna look like. And I think Zachariah is in all this stuff because when the angel shows up at the right side of the altar of incense, he is not like, hey, all right, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come and now you're here like fist bump. You know, it's not that. It's not like, hey, what took you so long? Like I've been waiting on you. It's not that. It's like he's surprised, you know, he's like doing his thing and it's like the angel's there and he's like, I there's, think there's something there that's not supposed to be there and I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Like kind of shocked by it. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he'll be great before the Lord. So your prayer has been heard this would be a great thing to hear. You know, I believe God hears my prayers, but honestly, I'm not sure sometimes. And so if you got like, it's like certified mail, you got like a little notice that God had heard, or when you send a text and it says text has been read, that'd be, that'd be fantastic, you know? And then your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Like it's going to get answered the way you wanted it to. And I think John, or Zachariah could be forgiven for not hearing anything else the angel said, but just thinking, man, I cannot wait to get out of here and tell Elizabeth that she is going to have a baby. And the angel goes on and says, you're going to call his name John and you'll have joy and gladness and you'll rejoice at his birth. This, this strikes me as a little bit like Will Ferrell dressed up in an elf costume, like you're going to have a baby and you'll call him John and you're going to be really happy and everyone's going to be really happy. But that's not how it went because that's not what angels do. But that's how it seems. And then it says he must not drink wine or strong drink, which starts to sound like a baby, like we read baby wise before kids were like a manual, you know, and he's out. But then the angel says this, he says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And then Zachariah has got to be thinking like, wait, what'd you say? And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And there Zachariah has to know that something else is going on. This isn't just any baby. And what Zachariah would hear is because they knew their Old Testament cold, you know, is this from Malachi chapter four, verses five and six. These are actually the last verses of our Old Testament. It wouldn't be the same for the Jewish version of the Bible, but it'd be close, you know, and they know these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the spirit and power of Elijah is referring to this, and he will turn exact same language, the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And so if you're Zachariah, you realize the marshmallow just got a whole lot bigger. You're not just going to have a baby. If you're Zachariah, the hair on the back of your neck is standing up. You're getting goosebumps right now. Not just as you and Elizabeth's weight over, but the 400 weight, the 1500 year weight, whatever it is of Israel is over. We are back on track and God is tying some big threads together in these words to Zechariah with these promises. And he does that over and over again in these gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus. That angel goes to Mary next and says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called son of the most high. Now this news 
isn't as great if you were an unwed teenage mother in a small town. You know, like, what do you mean I'm having a baby? But then the angel says, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And she hears that and she knows it's not that she is going to get pregnant by some guy named David when she's engaged to Joseph and David's a king. It's not that. She knows that 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 angel is talking about a much bigger story than her story with Joseph. What she hears, and we went through this a few um, weeks ago, is when in the Rise of Israel week that that uh, David got to a place where he had a house and he wanted to build God a house. And God's like, listen, man, I don't need your help. You need my help. And says, I'm going to build you a house. And in the words uh, of, that are recorded in 2 Samuel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house from my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that angel had said to Mary, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And, and now the hair on the back of Mary's neck is standing up and she's getting goosebumps because she knows she's not just having any baby. She is having the baby that they have all been waiting a thousand years for. You know, the adult is coming back into the room with the second marshmallow and there's another thread that gets tied together in those words to Mary. When the angel says, from your body, um, it's the line of David. It goes down, and that's why the genealogies matter so much to the Jewish people. And so Matthew 1, he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so there's another thread in that. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 12, another passage we covered, where God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And that's the promise that's going to get fulfilled by Jesus that was made to Abraham is that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Jesus, who is the seed of Abraham, the one has come down. And so another thread is getting tied together. Later in Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so there's all sorts of those Old Testament prophets, lines that they're waiting for, and another thread is tied together. Um, later, after Jesus is born and they had to, to leave and go to Egypt because Herod was killing all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem, it says, When they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And this is made to, think, to, to get us to think of another story in the Bible of another baby that was fleeing from another genocidal ruler that's killing all the children, and it's Moses fleeing from Pharaoh. And so Jesus is meant to recount. There's another thread that's getting tied together, made us to think of, of Moses. And so just as Moses, he was escaping Egypt, and Jesus is going to take refuge in Egypt, but then he's going to come back out of Egypt, and it all ties to, uh, to the Exodus. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses said that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it's to him you shall listen. They knew this. Um, when Jesus has grown and calling his first disciples, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, we found the one that Moses was talking about in the law and the prophets, the one like him, and it's 
Jesus. That thread needed to be tied together. So they've got David and they've got Abraham and now they've got Moses. Uh, John the Baptist, when he baptizes Jesus, he sees him coming that day, that day and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's another tie to Exodus and it's the Passover lamb. So that Exodus story, they're waiting for a new Exodus. And the Exodus story is a picture of our true Exodus. We're not slaves to Egypt. We're slaves to sin. And the Passover lamb wasn't about a lamb and blood that goes on the lintels of a doorpost so death will pass over us. It's, it's foreshadowing Jesus and the blood of Jesus on a cross that is going to save us from the death that we deserve because of our sins. And that's what John the Baptist is declaring with them. And, and, and they're going through the Red Sea is a picture of baptism that we go into the waters and under the waters and we've died with Christ, but we rise from that and we go into new life. And that's why God said to the Israelites, time starts over when you get into the desert. It's because it's a picture and here all these threads are getting tied together. And finally, one last one, John uh, chapter one, in the beginning, in the beginning. Now we're all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of man. And the light, God said, let there be light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John says a few verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word that was there at the beginning, in whom and for whom and by whom all things were created, became flesh and stepped into the existence that he created and walked among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And that thread gets tied together. All these threads get tied together. All these things that they have been waiting on, they're signaled that that wait is over and Jesus is going to, to make the story go forward. Now, why does all that matter? Uh, I, there are lots of reasons for that. One of them that I'm not going to spend much time on at all is just that you go through those prophecies and you can do the math on this. Like st statisticians have gone through this. They're, you can prove that they were written before the time of Jesus because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and one man could not have made himself fulfill all those prophecies. It's statistically impossible and an evidence that God has been at work. And that is maybe a little bit more objective, but subjectively, it tells us something about his work uh, in our lives. You know, that, that we're all kind of sitting in a marshmallow test waiting to see if the adult's going to come back in the room and give us a second marshmallow. And so one of the things it tells us is that when we don't think God is still at work, God is still at work. Uh, I think it's easy to feel like Zachariah going into the temple and going through the motions and, and wondering what it's all for and wondering if the promises are going to come true and wondering if God's going to show up in the way that you've wanted him to. I was talking to, uh, to John Fouché about this the other day, and he reminded me of a talk that we had listened to um, about a year ago, and it was a, a pastor in his 80s named Gordon McDonald talking about how um, early in life there are a lot of firsts. You know, and late in life, you get to a point where there, you start thinking there are a lot of lasts. But in the middle of life, there are a lot of sames, <laughs> a lot of sames, and that it can start to feel 
a little bit like Groundhog's Day, like everything is the same. And I feel like there's probably a lot of us, you know, there are definitely some of us towards the end of life and some of us towards the beginning of things, but there's a lot of us that are in the middle of our careers, in the middle of our walks with God, in the middle of our marriages, in the middle of our parenting. And, you know, we can feel that. Uh, and God, God does speak, you know, God speaks through his word and God speaks um, through, through, to me through conversations with other people. And God speaks sometimes in crazy ways through, through circumstances, not super often, but often enough. These things happen where I'm like, there's no way that just happened. Like God did that. But honestly, I can't fathom 400 years because to me, like a couple weeks without God doing something like that feels like 400 years to me. And so I need this. I need this. When you don't think God is still at work, this is, and God does this all throughout the Bible, but God is still at work, and we need to know that. Um, here's another thing. God's answer doesn't always look like we expect the answer to. I don't think Jesus is what they were expecting at all. I was reading that Zechariah passage, and when Malachi says that, that, that the prophet Elijah is going to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, I think the Israelites could be forgiven if Mary and Joseph, you know, traveling from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and having a baby in a stable with nobody noticing except some angel or some shepherds out in a field. I could, I, Israel could be forgiven if they thought that was not the great and awesome day of the Lord that they were waiting on. You know, the story is a little understated and God does that. We talk about that all the time for reasons, but sometimes he does that to us and, and we need to remember that. I don't know what the marshmallow is for you. I don't know what you're, you're waiting on. Um, my hope, but I had to call myself to this too, is that, is that the first thing I'm waiting on is some, some personal transformation for me, for God to make me more like Jesus. And he's definitely done that, but there's so many ways that he needs to do that. And I hope I'm, I'm waiting expectantly for him to continue to transform me to be fit to be in his presence forever, you know, and revealing to me those ways. And I'm I'm agreeing with him and repenting and seeking transformation and sanctification. And I hope that's the truth for you, but that can be hard. St. Francis of Assisi famously called his body brother ass, like a mule, <laughs> because it was so hard to get change to happen. And so we're waiting on that. It, it can be those around you, you know, and hopefully that's true too, that there are some folks around you that you are, you're asking God to do a work in their lives for any number of reasons. And it can be hard to wait patiently for that. It can be a form of calling, whether that be your job or whether it be a ministry that you're involved in where you've been planting and you've been watering and you are waiting and hoping for fruit to grow. And maybe you're not seeing it in the way that you want it to and you're waiting on that. Um, it can be uncertainty about needs being met, whether those be immediate short-term needs that you don't know what's going to happen next week or tomorrow or whether they be long-term needs, you know, about, um, again, the, the future of your family or, or your own personal future. Just we can, we can extend our worry out quite a bit. I mean, we're pretty good at that. Um, it can be anxiety about our cultural moment. You know, I, I put a, a thing out in the weekly about news and news is spiritual deformation. And I needed it because I can get wrapped up in the news of the day. And, um, and that can be hard. I read an article the other day about um, it compared what's going on in the past few years in the United States to the decline of Rome. And it, it 
rang true to me. And maybe that shouldn't be surprising because I think we're drifting away from Jesus as the way, the life, and the truth. And when you drift away from the truth, then things are going to deform, you know. Uh, but in all those things that we're waiting for, that the answer that we think we're waiting for might not be the answer that God is going to bring. And so our eyes need to be open um, for whatever it is that he might have to do. And we need to recognize that ultimately what we're waiting for is his kingdom, uh, is for his kingdom to become a reality on earth as it is in heaven. And that's going to happen a little bit at a time until it happens a lot all at once, you know. Uh, and so we need to be patient and, and recognize the ways that he is working. And finally, I think this shows us that the waiting is worth it. You know, they had a long wait, um, but the wait was worth it. I have, uh, I have almost four teenagers in my house right now, um, which, is, which is crazy. And they're great. They're fantastic. I think about them and pray for them, and I think, man, that's a hard, that's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of waiting that goes on when you're a teenager, and especially when you're a teenager trying to pursue Jesus, and that can be a lonely time because not lots and lots of teenagers are pursuing Jesus and trying to, you know, figure out what that is. And so there can be a lot of angst in it um, about wondering about the future. And I just, I want them to know the waiting is worth it. And I want all of us to know that the waiting is worth it. And the not waiting uh, doesn't pay off. And again, that's a little bit different than the marshmallow thing because that first marshmallow in this scenario has some consequences most of the time and it doesn't. And this part of what Jesus tells us is the waiting's worth it. And either that's true or it isn't true. Either God is there and he's called us to things and he's at work, you know, in ways that we can't see and the waiting's going to be worth it or he's not. And you have to make a firm decision about that to live that out well. And so this morning may be a time for you to make up your mind in the first place that this is all true, that Jesus did come and he was a real person and he, and he died on the cross to, um, to pay for our sins and rose from the dead uh, to show us that he has the power over sin and death. Um, and so that may be the first time for you to make that decision. And when you make that decision, your life changes. Uh, you have come through the waters and time starts over and he has perfected for all time in you that which is being sanctified and the change that he has started in you. And so I invite you to make that decision this morning. But if you've made that decision before, I think we have to, when Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me, we remake that decision over and over again, that this is real, Jesus is real, it's worth it, and I'm going to pursue him. And so maybe this morning is the time to remake that decision. The scene of Zechariah before the incense and not really having thought through the table of incense before was beautiful to me and a call to us to continue to offer up our incense, our prayers, which, which involve cost, which involve sacrifice, which involve time, which involve hope, which involve faith. And don't stop bringing your prayers before the Lord and don't be super surprised if one normal day an angel stands beside the altar and God says, now is the time. And so I'm going to leave you with one last verse. It's from Ephesians 3. It's a verse that, that um, you've probably heard before. But Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.
And may that hope not, not dissipate in us, but may that hope grow in us that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And if Jesus tells us anything, it's that. Father, thank you um, for these scenes in these gospel accounts. Thank you that you are faithful, that you are faithful. When Israel wasn't faithful, you were still faithful. When we aren't faithful, you're still faithful. When we are faithful, you're faithful, God. That your faithfulness doesn't depend on our faithfulness. It depends on your character. And we know you are true and the weight is worth it and you are at work. Lord, would you fill us with that hope and would that hope lead us to pursue you ever more diligently, day by day, individually and together. And would that bring you glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.